0: Good morning, everyone. Today is Communion Sunday, and I'm going to continue in John from where we were a month ago when it was Communion Sunday. And I preached up some verses up to John 3.16. So we're back in John. I want to go on from where we were. I'll be reading John 3.16 to get us into the context. So today, we're going to be talking about light, darkness in god's judgment let's pray thank you lord for uh giving us the truth in the gospel coming into the wicked world that hated you and bringing salvation to those who believe and we pray for wisdom and a heart that would be willing to live according to the things you've taught thank you lord in jesus name amen so let me read uh I'm using a Lexham English Bible. I did the last time. John has had some uh, translations here that I think bring things out very clearly. I'll read John 3.16 as we go to the next slide, which has 17 on, and I'll put it in context, and then read on through 17. John 3.16 we covered last time. For in this way, God loved the world so that he gave his one and only son, in order that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world in order that he should judge the world, but in order that the world should be saved through him. So adding to what we Learn If you missed that one, it's on ggf.church. Look up the sermon for the last Sunday in April. But I'm using this Lexham English Bible because I like the fact it brings out these purpose clauses. Literally. It may seem a little less flowery, but it really helps us understand it. And there, are, there's a contrast going on here. The contrast is why God did not send the son and why he did. He did not send the son in order that he should judge the world, but he did send the son in order that the world would be saved through him. The word for world, cosmos, in the Greek, has a range of meaning. We've talked about that before. And as I've studied some more in John, and I thank God for some great, Resources that I've obtained recently, you can see that that term is rather complex. And we'll have to try to put things in uh, context and understand it. Generally, cosmos, which would mean an orderly system, here in the darkness and in its lost condition, this orderly system is in rebellion against God, doesn't want to believe God, and is committed to darkness and wickedness. But this system, this cosmos, is the arena as well into which the sun comes to bring salvation to those who believe. So rather than turn the world over to judgment only, God provided through his saving mission of the Son. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that those who believe in him could be saved. We'll be talking more about his person, which we do regularly. So, John 3.16 mentioned not perish. So, this is explaining what that means. God loved the world. And this is what's interesting uh, as we unpack the idea of the cosmos, the world. At one and the same time, the world is hostile to God, hates the light, hates what's good, practices what e- what's evil, but yet God expresses love through sending Messiah, the eternal Lagos, the creator, the second person of the Trinity, on a saving mission. And so, as I say on the slide here, one purpose denied— That doesn't mean there won't be judgment, and there is no judgment, but that we're focusing now on the saving mission of the Son, the other affirmed, in order that the world should be saved. This doesn't mean the entirety of the population of the world will be saved, but those who believe. So, uh, in order that is in the Greek is hina, which is generally a purpose clause— And so there's this contrast, and it's very stark, and it should show us something also about the love of God, which we talked about last time. There would be no injustice if God simply judged, because it's only just that the wicked are judged, including all of us, before we knew Christ. There's no injustice in God's judgment. Now here it says... Uh, the son. It says his son, but really the Greek says the son. And this is the first time in John where the son is just used without any qualification. John repeats terms throughout his gospel, and these repeated terms are filled in by explanations. So if we want to know what the son is, we go back earlier, and we find out what only begotten implies, and what it means that he preexisted uh, as the very creator, and so forth. And we'll do some of that today. But then, as you read through John, when it says the Son, even though this translation kind of drops the ball on that particular one, we know what he's talking about. Everything else is implied that we learn about the Son. And so that'll come up again in 336, 519, 640, 836, 1413, and 171. Did you get that all written down? It's okay. Uh, I'm just pointing out it comes up again. The sun. When you read that, the whole thing should be implied in our minds as we understand that. So I have a statement I wrote in my notes to share with you. There's a parallel with John three sixteen, where perish, apolumi, is parallel to judge, Crino, in verse 17. In verse 16, believers in Christ will have eternal life. In verse 17, the term saved, so so is used for the purpose of the mission of the Son. Those who do not perish and escape judgment are the ones who have eternal life and are saved. It's the same group. The ones that don't perish are the ones that are saved. The ones that uh, believe in the Son are the ones who are saved and have come to the light. The Son came into the world, already lost. And the next verse gives further clarification. Let's go to that. John three eighteen. Further clarification, the one who believes in him, that is the son, is not judged. But the one who does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. I mentioned this uh, translation uses the one and only son of God, which is a good one. Mono, uh, uh, the, the, the word to be. Monoganes, I think it is the only begotten. One way to say this, the unique one, the only one of his kind, Jesus Christ is the unique son who's the creator, coexisting, non-contingent. We've got to get the doctrine of Christ, right? And I'll, I'll emphasize that some more. If we don't get the doctrine of Christ right and I I should say this, a robust doctrine of Christ that doesn't skip important things, we will end up being deceived because many false cults and religions are going around talking about Christ or the Christ consciousness or the Christ spirit or the spirit of Christ. There's a New Age church in our neighborhood that says spirit of Christ. Well, they don't believe in the biblical Christ. The definitions are critical because... They'll, give, they'll sell you a false bill of goods. You're not saved by believing in a false Christ. We've got to get this right. And some say, well, you're just being picky. No, this isn't picky. This, this is essential. Our eternal destiny depends on understanding who, the one and only, the only begotten one, who he is. Because universal sin and judgment are true. And we'll see more about that this is the only way out the only way out of God's judgment is to believe in the unique one and only Son of God now sin and guilt existed before the incarnation but now that the light that we will see that that theme as well the son comes into the world that he created From all eternity, the guilt is compounded. The more light we have, the more culpable we are if we refuse to believe it. That's a clear thing that's taught in the Bible. And uh, let me talk about this faith as well. The Greek literally says, the one believing into him. Isis, into. The one believing into him and then it mentions the one and only son of god as the object of saving faith this means not having mental assent only that there was a guy named jesus most people have heard about that but it means jesus the with all of the things that are defined about his person and john does a very strong doctrine of christ in this gospel those things are what we believe into we trust we we will embrace and this we will cling to and remain in Christ and remain in our faith even if the world hates us in the process which it will now I have a statement also that goes with this uh, slide that I wrote here believes in him is antithetically parallel to Not believed in the name of the unique one and only son of God. The implications of the name, we've got to talk about that too, is more than a designator of a person compared to others, but denotes all that is true of the person as far as character and being. John fills out many details of his person throughout this gospel. Those who believe in a version of the biblical son of God that lacks certain essential attributes believe in a false Christ, a false son, and are still under God's judgment. Furthermore, the name is not a magical word which scares demons. It's not a magical word that'll get you what you want in this life. It is a designation of the person, the son of God, the creator, the redeemer, the savior, the great shepherd, the eternal logos. And any of this that's revealed, we need to embrace. We can't say, well, I'm going to skip this and this and take this. That's what we see with, um, Theological liberalism. Well, we can't believe that there's a judgment because in our estimation, they say God wouldn't judge anybody because he's the good Lord. So we're going to leave that part out. But we like the gentle part. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. That That's okay. Uh, everything's okay. No, we need to, if we believe the Gospels at all, believe all that it says about the Son. The unique son of God the name is the whole person not just some word that'll scare somebody or make something happen you see people use it that way I ran into someone contacted us uh, having read an article that we wrote that was translated into the language of the person who had been through deliverance and said well I asked well what do you believe what do you know well, it turned out she didn't believe in the the Christ of the Bible. It was Jesus Christ they were using for the deliverance. Well, the sons of Skeva had a Jesus whom Paul preached, but they didn't know him. It didn't work for them. We need the Son. We need the truth. the wor- The world is lost and under God's wrath. Let's go to verse nineteen. And I chose a different translation here. I, d- I don't. Don't use the NIV much, but this is the only one in my library that had the translation, I think, is the most solid in pointing this out. NIV, John three nineteen. This is the verdict. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. I hope the profundity of this sinks into to us. I hope, as it did, as I saw this, it just, it strikes you. It's striking. In some ways, it's, it's fearful and showing us how badly we need the Lord. Okay, the verdict. Light has come into the world. In John, now literally, there is a, excuse me, a definite article, the light. In John, the light Is Christ the light came in to the world Christ Jesus the only begotten general revelation let me explain what I mean by that all people have general revelation Paul talks about that in Romans 1 anyone using the faculties that God Gave human beings can see that the world exists because there's a creator. Something eternal exists, or something not eternal, eternal came forth out of nothing. Because of the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, there you lose energy as time goes on in the system. And so the universe is still here and hasn't died of heat death. So we know the universe is not eternal. So the explanation for the creation of the visible world that we can all see, the fact that life can exist on the earth, that very tiny factors make life possible, even trace elements like carbon dioxide in parts per million in the atmosphere, makes the trees green, the trees give off oxygen, people give off carbon dioxide, and we have a livable world, even though it's under entropy in the fall. That's general revelation. The pagans can see there has to be a God. And that God has not poured out his wrath yet, shows that he's a merciful God. But this special revelation that comes through Christ intensifies the light and intensifies the accountability. The more we see and know, the more accountable we are to see that we should need to turn to Christ. He's both all-powerful, almighty, and also loving and providing a way of salvation. The term translated verdict is Christus, Uh, kappa rho in English k-r-i-s-i-s and that means the whole judicial process but here verdict is a very good term because it brings us short the verdict's in the light has come people love darkness it's striking but yet because we're still here we're still living we're still hearing sermons we still have time to repent and come to him and believe. Um, I think I'll uh, skip a few of the scholarly quotes that I had in here because I think the time will run short. I noticed that my be- the best scholarly sources translate this verdict. That's why I chose this one. Let me make the statement that I wrote about this. When we see the wickedness of the world which sometimes is shocking and stunning, we see exactly what John said. People love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. This is so sadly, shockingly true as we see it play out in history before our very eyes. And we think to ourselves, how can people not see that this is evil? How can they not see how bad this is? How can they not see what's going on? Because if you affirm that evil is good, you don't feel so badly about your own situation. But there's an alternative turn to Christ, forgiveness of sins, filled with the light. The true light that comes only from him. The world, I'm continuing my statement here. This plays out throughout subsequent history. The world is still racing toward the execution of God's judgment. There's a contrast in John. God loved the world. Men love darkness. Look at the contrast. God loved the world. but Men love darkness. Shocking, but true. Let's go to verse 20. For everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. Lest, again, is he not in order that. It's a purpose clause, again. In order that he he doesn't, there's a, it's a negated one. So that's why it says less, but it's negated. I don't want my deeds exposed. I don't like this light. I think I'll sneak around. Now, when it gets really reprobate, those doing evil say, great, it's evil. You better like it. But the inclination is to hide. Now, I know we don't have time for it, but it's very tempting to go back to Genesis. I'll allude at least to Cain but what happened when the serpent deceived Adam and Eve they hid didn't they they hid they knew that something was wrong they hid it that's what we do and sometimes we try to change things by having a false Jesus and a false gospel and a false religion and call good evil and evil good but it doesn't change anything ontologically, meaning as an order of being. Dr. Edward Clink says the reason the darkness does not recognize the light, 1-5, we'll get to that, by the way, because it hates the light. And its hate is rooted in its pride, says Klink, does not want its deeds exposed. Without the light, darkness feels safe. Though in reality, it has already been condemned, verse 18. Dr. Edward Klink, commentaries, thought about exegetical commentary in the New Testament. This is my statement. Those who reject the light brought through the only begotten Son are practicing, present active participle, evil, and there's a different word for it in this verse, just for, I think, variety, the word foulness means vile evil evil wicked foul corrupt good for nothing that's bad depraved worthless well that's an interesting word to use it kind of covers all the bases but that's what it says in its context and people said before and i think they're right practices that are not approved by god are what determine people's theology Rather than change practices, let's contrive a religion that says that they're not bad anyhow. That's really what uh, we've seen in many cases. But there's a better answer. And it isn't trying to be a better person. It isn't, well, I think I'll do less bad things. And it isn't coming to some religious uh, system that says good is evil and evil is good. It's this. God is loving. He says, he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Trust in the son. God is giving us forgiveness because he poured his wrath out on his son who bore the penalty. That's the way out. That's the way out. Not a new definition of religion, but a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that is there for those who, Will believe. And what we're asked to believe is not a fair t- fairy tale, not a mythological Jesus, not a bizarre religion. We're asked to believe what's called sober, objective truth. We're not believing a lie, we're believing truth. God did create the world, and there's ample evidence for that. I knew that before I was converted, studying bio- uh, biochemistry. At Iowa State University, I was convinced by the complexities of carbon-carbon bonding that it was necessary that there was a creator or life could not exist. Verse 21, but the one who practices the truth, now there's the contrast, practicing evil versus practicing the truth, but the one who practices the truth comes to the light in order that his deeds may be revealed, that they are done in God. Done in God. And this, uh, the, the grammatical construction here is very interesting. Um, but in the end, God gets the glory because we didn't figure out a better religion. God gave us a gift. And he's at work. In order that, again, Hina, another pr- the purpose clause... Okay, the one who practices the truth comes to the light. Once you are converted, redeemed, born of God, we saw that earlier in John 3, suddenly, through the miraculous power of God, those things you used to hate, now you love and you want more of. I want more truth. I want more of the garbage God cleansed out of my life. I want to honor God and have less bad stuff and hypocrisy and crazy stuff that gets into our lives that we don't want. We want more light. But before, when we were lost, we wanted better ways to be in the darkness. God help us. We need to love the light. How does that happen? It's by a work of grace. Uh, Just within days after I was converted, I was sitting in a little small church listening to what's hymns that I would have thought were hokey the day before. And now I love them. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Who would sing that? People who know that it's true. People who know that it's true. The world hates those. Yeah, I'll just read some of my notes here that I created for this uh, sermon. Um, Oh, I wanted to allude to Genesis. Let's do one of these. I, I'm very tempted to just go back to Genesis, but then we would never get to our communion service and the meal afterwards. But in 1 John, 1 John three twelve. notice the practices determine the theology, right? If you're in darkness, you're practicing evil, you're under the darkness. Practices the truth comes to the light. Now look at 1 John three 12. I'll, I'll read it to you. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and violently murdered his brother. And for what reason did he violently murder him? Because his deeds were evil, and the deeds of his brother were righteous. You can go back to the Cain and Abel narrative and see the story of redemption prefigured already. God delighted in the offering the blood sacrifice and not the other and even gave an alternative to Cain if you go back to Genesis but he didn't like how God did things and he murdered the one who was walking in the light isn't that really Eric was talking about what's going to happen during the tribulation period, exactly what is going to be unleashed on the earth. The hatred for the light will be unleashed as it never has been. And so Cain and Abel is really a story about this right there. It was the practice of Cain, according to John, 1 John 3.12, that caused him to murder his brother. The world hates those who truly believe in the only begotten Son, this hatred this is my statement is grounded in their spiritual condition darkness and is shown by their practices evil is it hopeless no remember Jesus Christ came not to judge the world but that the world might be saved there's yet future judgment coming we can be saved by coming to Christ. I'll just cite Dr. Carson. I haven't done that yet. The purpose of these three verses, then, is not to encourage readers to think they fall into a deterministic category bound up with their intrinsic nature, but to make them see the imminence of their danger. Parenthetically, the verdict is being declared. And, fundamental, and the fundamentally, says Carson, moral reasons why people hate the light. John stresses these points in hope that his readers will beseech God that all they do may be done through him. In short, they will turn to the lifted up Son of Man with the same simple, desperate, says Carson, unqualified faith Is the Israelites displayed who turned to the bronze snake. I preached on that section. Uh, It was not last month before that. The son of man with the same simple, desperate, unqualified faith. He bore the curse so we could have the blessing. Look to him in faith today. Trust in him. I agree with Dr. Carson. One more sentence here. By such faith... such faith alone, says Carson, can anyone experience the new birth, verses 3 and 5, and thereby gain eternal life, verses 15 and 16. Let's go to some implications and applications. Number one, we must get the doctrine of Christ right, lest we believe claims of light, which are in fact darkness. Number two, we'll we'll show darkness caused by sin is universal, and human religion cannot change that. Number three, we can only get out of the darkness by believing in the Son who brings light. That's exactly what the Bible says, and I'll show it to you in even other passages. We'll look backward and forward in John. We'll start by going to something that will come up in the future here in John, John eight twelve. When John has a theme, he repeats it in different contexts. Darkness and light are thematic in John's gospel. So we'll see that here in John 8, 12, a preview of something that comes up later in John. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of light. Excuse me, the light of life. Here again, contrast. John likes contrast, so we see it. The either or follow him, do not walk in darkness. Have the light of life. Now this is the second I am statement in John. The scholars would say uh, it's a statement that here has a predicate. The predicate being something about the "I am." In this case, "I am the light of the world." Uh, the first one was found in John six thirty five. I'll cite that if you want to jot it down. John six thirty five. Uh, Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger." And he who believes in me will never thirst. Now, John 6 is a really strong allusion to the wilderness wanderers. Not even an allusion, it just comes right up. Moses gave us bread. Jesus multiplied the bread and showed many signs. And they said, well, we want to make a king. Can you imagine having a king who can make his own bread? The economy wouldn't have a lot of problems, would it? Just have one field of wheat and multiply it all and you have bread forever. Moses gave his bread out of heaven. They conveniently forgot that they murmured and said, we're sick of this, we want to go back to Egypt. And that song by Keith Green gets in my mind, it shows how old I am, eating leeks and onions by the Nile. Remember that line? Um, Oh, it wasn't so bad in Egypt. The tempter comes along and says, why don't you just come back? You know, Pharaoh wasn't so bad. They were the ones that cried out to Pharaoh, get us out of here. No, no, that's not so bad. We're sick of this. We don't like this food. And the same thing happens. Now, that's purposeful in John 6, because they reject Jesus who says this, I am the bread of life. There are seven I am statements, and they are speaking of the eternal, non-contingent nature of Christ, God the Son. And let me give them to you, and I'll give you enough time to jot them down. First one, John six thirty five, I am the bread of life. Second one, John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. The third one, I am the gate. It's talking about the sheep, the gate for the sheep. Come out and find pasture. John 10, 7 and 9. I am the good shepherd. John 10, 11, and 14. I am the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five, 25. John eleven twenty five, 25. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. And finally, I am the true vine. John 15, 1, and 5. These I am statements are rooted in the Old Testament. And particularly, in the story of the burning bush, where Moses ran into the I am, Exodus 3 6, I'll cite it to you. He also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Wow. The I am goes all the way back to God's self-revelation to Moses before the Passover. Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am, the Greek, ego, eimi. I am continually existing. God is, well, I keep saying non-contingent. You got to learn that concept. A contingent being dependent on something outside of himself for existence. Okay? Many of the false teachers are preaching and teaching contingent God, contingent Christ. And they put contingencies one after another on God. And unless we do this and this and this, God can't do this. And uh, Jesus, in one version of it, lost his deity, they claim, went to hell when he died on the cross, and whether he got out of there or not was contingent on him beating up Satan as a mere man and not God. And since he was able to get that done, then he got out. That's repeated. It came from a false teacher, at least came from E.W. Kenya, maybe before that. That's a wicked doctrine. If you're comforted by a contingent Christ who can't accomplish what he says he will do, you're finding false comfort. If Christ isn't who he says he is, then what he said he will do may or may not happen. Jehovah's Witnesses have a false Christ because they say that he's a created being. There was a time when he was not the old heresy. So these I am statements refute all of that. A couple of Jehovah witnesses came by one time when I was out, this is a few decades ago, but we've been in our house for over 35 years, and they came by and they were telling me about their doctrine, and so I started citing these I am statements to them from memory. Did you know that Jesus is the great I am? The creator, and And I started explaining a go away me, continual, non contingent existence. And there was like a new JW and an older one bringing her around. And when the one that was younger was listening to me with intent, the older one said, we got to go. Because she was afraid I'd get through to her with the truth. I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you to me. When Jesus said seven times, I am, he's claiming to be God. The very one appeared to Moses at the execution of the plan given ahead of time to patriarchs that the descendants would be 400 years but I will bring them out with a mighty hand. 400 years in Egypt. Now let's go back to John 1, 4 and 5. John 1, 4 and 5. In him, now this was given before John 3, but reviews and previews. Here's a review. In him was life, and the life was the light of humanity, saying the L E B. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Now, the word for overcome is notoriously discussed throughout history, because it could mean recognize, or it could mean uh, overcome or defeat. Catalombano. And I've seen people just, in translations will reflect one or the other um, Ideas. Some will say overcome, as it does here with the LEB. Some say recognize. So I did some more research into that. And I think the best reading is this. That John is using what one scholar called a planned ambiguity. Because if you keep reading John, you'll find out both are true. They don't recognize, nor could they overcome. Both things will come up. Both apply in different ways. Dr. Carson says, and I think thats uh, he's, a, he's a good source, D.A. Carson, commentary on John, I think in the Pillar series. At least in this verse, John is more interested in the source of the light, the life of the word and its purpose for the human race, than the mode or purpose of its dispersal. Life here is zoe, zoe in the Greek. And life is certainly a theme in John. Eternal life, life everlasting, abundant life, life in relationship with God, life in which Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep, life in which we have hope, that when we die, we'll go to be with him, that he'll come again, bring us to himself, John 14. There's so much here. This is about creation, redemption, eternal hope, the purposes of God in Christ. The light shines objectively because God allows history to go on. The verdict's in, but the history's going on. and We get to know what the verdict is we have the unique opportunity to flee to Christ before the verdict's executed and be pardoned because he bore the wrath so that we could have forgiveness of sins. He's the creator. If you look one verse before these two, John 1, 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, not one thing came into being that has come into being. Any creation that we do is using pre-existing materials at our disposal. If you're an artist, which I'm not, you're using materials that already exist. If you're an engineer, you're working with things that God already created for us, laws of physics, cause and effect, materials, their, their strength, their the things that we can measure, it's all preexistent. But what came into being through the creation came forth out of nothing. Out of nothing, nothing comes. So how can that be? Because God is eternal from eternity past, eternity future. When we receive eternal life, we still had a starting point. It goes on into the ages, is what the Greek says, into the ages. When it says that God is eternal, there's no beginning and no end. So therefore, we can explain the universe that we see. I'll I'll quote Carson one more time. Apart from the light brought by the Messiah, the incarnate word, people love darkness because their deeds are evil. When the light does put in an appearance. They hate it. Because they do not want their deeds exposed. And when I think about the light and the darkness and the true and false Christ, I've seen new age books over the last 30, 40 years talking about the light. And it's deception. We've we got to understand The definitions that are given to us and God is not obligated to create a version of Christianity that is given the approval of people because they like it. I debated a guy who very much has a contingent deity uh, who teaches open theism. God isn't in control Because there are certain things he doesn't know, and those things are determined by the acts of humans and or demons or whatever. But it's not what the Bible says. God knows all contingencies, but he knows nothing contingently. He knows all things, and he has all power. And he does give us a plan of redemption, creation, redemption one more verse and we'll put the gospel right forward here one more verse John 12:46 statement of Christ I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will now remain in darkness let me share with you again the gospel of Jesus Christ if you're still living in the darkness, today present to you the way to the light through Jesus Christ he the very creator as we've seen the eternal one whose very nature in essence is light has come into our world the world is full of darkness if we can't see that now I don't know where we're looking it is really bad, really wicked. It's becoming, even in civilized society, dangerous to just get on a bus or go shopping somewhere. You don't know what might happen because the lawlessness is so bad. It's obvious that darkness is there, but he is the one who gave his light into the world. Believe in him, the virgin-born, sinless, One, God the Son, who lived a sinless life, who predicted his own death, burial, resurrection, and accomplished it, who shed his blood once for all, the just for the unjust, who was raised on the third day, appeared to many witnesses, who bodily ascended to heaven, who said he would be coming again. He calls us to turn to him, to repent and believe the gospel. Trust in Jesus Christ. Confess and admit that you have been in the darkness. And you need him. We all need him. <laughs> Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I'm going to pray. Then we're preparing you for the Lord's Supper. Thank you, dear Lord, for allowing us to look into these things, which are so glorious. And Lord, if any hear this, who are still living in the darkness, I pray that today, whoever that might be, would come to you and believe in you and have the light of life. And Lord, as Christians, we pray that you would cleanse any kind of darkness that we would want to cling to out of our lives And help us to love you and serve you in a way that would be pleasing to you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your love and mercy. We ask for grace to live in ways that would give honor to your name. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.